Well, welcome everyone. Um, uh, this is being uh, recorded. I don't know how well the recording will catch the people at the back. If you're sitting at the back, you might want to move further forward um, to be part of the, the group. Um, so the purpose of what we're meeting for today is to uh, look at the traditions. There were going to be two speakers, and it was going to be more traditional speakers with a bit of question and answer at the end. One of the speakers was taken ill on the way here. So we're going to be inviting a lot more interaction from you than you may have been <laughs> anticipating. Um, so we'll do, we'll do our best. Uh, the, the, so the format is going to be relatively unstructured. Um, and we're going to be looking at the traditions. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the traditions in two specific contexts because you could, you could do weeks on all of the traditions and how they can be applied in various ways. But we're going to look first of all at the traditions as they're employed in the group. And then we're going to look at how the traditions can be used as spiritual principles in the rest of our lives. Um, before we do that, I think it wouldn't hurt at all if we said the serenity prayer. Joe, would you like to lead us in the serenity prayer? Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. So what I'm going to do is just introduce uh, why we even have traditions, and then we're going to split the first session, which is going to be around 45 minutes, into different elements of how the traditions apply within a group. All, all will become apparent, but the basic uh, subheadings I've got are what is a group, um, uh, the basics of running a group, uh, the basics of what a group is, the basics of running a group, how to deal with disruptive members or disruptive participation, which is something we all have to face sometimes. I have been disruptive myself, so I've got experience of being the person the group has to deal with and the person that uh, has to deal with it. And also, there are odd little points on some of the other traditions. Um, so, just a, a tiny, tiny bit about me um, is that I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous in 1993, which was when my last drink was. Um, and uh, I soon joined Al-Anon as well, so I've got experience in both of those fellowships. Um, I have a sponsor still today, um, and the way I've been taught how recovery works is, is you've got the steps to deal with your own stuff, <laughs> relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your rela basic relationships with the key people around you. And then you've got the traditions to work out how to operate with other people. And then there's something called the 12 concepts, which we're not going to go into hugely today. But they govern how, they're, they're a set of, of principles about how AA, for instance, or any other 12-step fellowship, if it needs to get work done, if it needs to, for instance, uh, run itself as an organisation or carry its message to the outside world, how does it allocate out the work, how does it monitor and how does, it, how does it keep an eye on that work and make sure that it, it, it remains on track? Um, so you've got three sets of principles, a set of principles on working on yourself, a set of principles on um, uh, playing nicely with other people, which is the traditions, and then how to get stuff done is the concepts. And we're looking at the traditions today. Um, has anyone here heard of the Washingtonians? Does that ring a bell? What's your, what's your recollection of the Washingtonians? 
it pre-AA? Like, is, yeah, that they were a group that, I, can't, I don't know the details, but I read it somewhere and I'd have come in a page or yeah. somewhere. Go on. Um, I thought that my, they were, yeah, a group that um, didn't, Bill Wilson um, kind of take a lot of their philosophy, but didn't they implode or something? Exactly. So in the 1850s, there was this organisation called the Washingtonians, which was very similar to AA. It was a bunch of people who said, we, we can get sober by sticking together um, and helping each other. And they got to several hundred thousand members in America within the first five or six years. Um, within 10 years of, the, of um, the Washingtonians starting, the organization did not even exist anymore. And what happened in those last five years was that the Washingtonians got hugely involved in all sorts of political questions and abolition and slavery and they went into business in various ways. They all started arguing with each other and the whole thing fell apart. Um, so that's one piece of history that leads into the traditions. The second piece of history which leads into the traditions, in the first 20 years in AA, no one said, right, we're going to organise AA from the top. It was just people carrying the message to each other. Those people would maybe travel, move to different places, start an AA group where they ended up. And it was called the flying blind period, so no one knew what they were doing. And uh, all around the world, um, but particularly all ma around America, people tried all sorts of different ways of running groups. And so one of the things they did in, in uh, Los Angeles, is there was correspondence about a particular group where they objected to the behavior of one of the members. So they wrote this very long list of membership rules for the group. and there was, uh, And all of these experiments proved either one thing or another. Either they, they proved successful, so they found that they were doing things which were keeping the group together, or what they were doing was destroying groups, people were getting drunk, and so the traditions were, what they weren't thought out of um, nothing, they were essentially the opposite of the mistakes that were made in the first 20 years of AA. And so Bill Wilson, over those 20 years, was starting to collate the experience of the first members of AA and set them down in these traditions to say, OK, what works, what doesn't work, what is going to ensure our survival? And eventually, in the 1950s, they were accepted against a lot of resistance. They were accepted as, as this, is how, this is how we're going to run AA. And the traditions they cover... Um, how the group operates internally and also how the group relates to other groups and how the group relates to the fellowship as a whole. And what we're going to focus on today is that the reason this is even taking place is because there were some people uh, at a group locally who uh, I think were struggling in various ways and thought, well, there might be an answer in the tradition, so let's see if we can look to see if there's any relevant experience there. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the traditions as they're applied in a group. Do you want to read out the traditions just to...? Yes, so tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on AA unity. Tradition two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Tradition three, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. 
Tradition four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Tradition five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Tradition six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Tradition seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Tradition eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centres may employ special workers. Tradition nine, AA as such ought never be organised, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Tradition 10, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Tradition 11, our, pri- our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio and films. And tradition 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Um, so what I'm going to do... Um next three or four minutes is just share a little bit of experience from my last 23, 24 years in AA on the AA group and in particular Traditions 5 and Traditions 1. And what occurs to me, I went to a great meeting once where uh, it was at 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, there was a wonderful chair, there was wonderful sharing, wonderful atmosphere. And I was talking to someone immediately after the meeting. It was now two minutes past eight, and they started talking to me, and we finished talking at five past eight. I looked round, and there was no... Everyone scarpered. No one left in the room. <laughs> and I was thinking, I wonder if anyone's going for fellowship. Is anyone going for coffee? And nothing. It was just people come for the meeting for an hour and then go again. And the idea behind an AA group... Um, and whenever I say AA, just substitute whatever other fellowship you go to or want to go to or can imagine, because the principles are the same. Um, the idea behind an AA group is that it's a single spiritual entity. And what that means is that when a group makes a decision, um, it tries to make a decision in a way that everyone's minds and hearts come together. And so you have a feeling that you are in this together. It's not lots of people posting votes in a ballot box and all of the votes are against each other. It's coming to a decision together. And this is covered in the concepts as well about democracy being important. And um, what I've been taught about an AA group, as I say, is it's a, a spiritual entity which I become part of. And that means that I'm part of it if I decide that a particular group is my home group. And it's not an ill-chosen word, a home group. It's something which, even though I only go to it for an hour a week, sustains me through the other 24 hours and the other seven days a, a week. And there's a great line in the big book um, of Alcoholics Anonymous where it says, faith has to work in us and through us 24 hours a day. And in my case, um, my alcoholism is such that, I don't know about your mind, but my mind is very tricky. It can tell me that a drink is a very good idea. It can tell me that trying to control other people's lives is a very good idea. It can, can, it can tell me that all sorts of bad behavior is a good idea. I need something that's gonna work 24 hours a day. I need something that's gonna work seven days a week. And my experience is there's a massive difference between a meeting where people just turn up and a group that people 
are committed to. And my experience of what works in terms of what makes a group, what makes a group a group rather than just a meeting, uh, it comes down to tradition five. Um, so this idea of a primary purpose. And I was a member of a group um, seven or eight years ago where we were running into, there were lots of tensions in the meeting. So if one, one person shared, whenever that person shared, three other people would walk out and go for their cigarette just at the same time this particular person shared every time. And there were arguments, of, there were arguments about everything. And so we decided we're going to have a group conscience. And in the group conscience, the first question we asked is, what is the purpose of this group? And some of the people said, um, well, the purpose of this group is to carry the AA's, the message of Alcoholics Anonymous as set out in the big book and to share our experience on the 12 steps of AA. So that was one idea. And then other people looked very upset at this and they said, well, no, I think the purpose, I think the purpose of this group is we want to come and just share about how our week was. And it suddenly became apparent that I could see why the room was full of argument. There wasn't a single primary purpose. And now you will hear people saying that an AA group must be this or an AA group must be that. And I really want to say, although I was on the side of I wanted the group to be talking about the steps and sponsorship and all of those things, I think the people that said that they want an AA group to be about coming and having a safe place to share and talking about their week, that's complete, that's just as legitimate. If that keeps you sober, wonderful. If you want to have a group which does that, wonderful. But this is where Tradition 4 comes in. Each group is autonomous, as long as it doesn't affect AA as a whole. So the perfect solution was that the group split into a bunch of people that had one primary purpose. The other people formed a different group, which was to approach AA and recovery in a completely different way. And then there didn't need to be any argument. And so whenever I'm, and I've started a lot of groups over the years, um, uh, my two home groups now, which are in Hoxton and, and, and Shoreditch, uh, um, I, I actually, one I started about a year and a half ago with some friends, the other one I started eight years ago. We started by saying, what is the primary purpose of this group? We got a bunch of people who had the same idea. And the funny thing was, because we've all got the same idea about what the purpose of the group is, we don't, we very, and there are very few, I think there are very few arguments at Brick Lane compared to many other groups, and it's all down to having the same purpose. If you have different purposes, good luck keeping unity, because you're aiming for something different. And across the fellowship as a whole, the reason um, that I can feel that I'm in the same fellowship as AA groups that do things very differently is because we're not telling them what to do, they're not telling us what to do. We can let those groups do whatever they want, they let us do whatever we want, and then we can be friends. And then I'm part of a huge fellowship rather than this special little group on its own. Um, so that's Traditions 1 and 5. And the point about Tradition 1, um, uh, uh, there are a couple of things on Tradition 1 as well that I want to say. The first one is that um, recovery is not something I do in my room on my own, thinking about myself, writing long lists of things, although recovery does involve sometimes sitting and thinking on your own and writing lists. It's a group activity and without, a, without an AA group 
Um, I can know what the right thing to do is in my life. I can know what the right thing to do is in my recovery, but I don't have the power to do it. So my problem in any situation is lack of information and lack of power. And I'll tell you, 90% of my power comes from my home groups, which is why the group is so important. And uh, one other thing about Tradition 1, before I open it up, is that we don't, um, we don't need to be uniform to be unified. We don't need to be the same in order to stick together. And at my home group, we, uh, and I've been to groups where they're very strict on the sharing. And if there's a topic, let's say the topic is step four, and people, people talk about other things, um, or, or, or say something controversial, the secretary will shut them down because it's against the primary purpose. Whereas at Brick Lane, we, we say, well, we'd like you to share on the step, on whatever we've talked about today. But if people talk about their day or their week or their mother or their this or their that, we don't care. <laughs> because it's more important that you are in the room with us and we all get to stay together. That's the most important thing. And so there is a balance between these. One can't sacrifice one tradition against another. They've all got to be brought in, um, brought in together. Um, and the other point um, is that in the long form of Tradition 3, I, can I, if I can just read it out, it says, our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. So if it's if essay, it's our membership ought to include all who suffer from sex addiction. So if that is the case, it needs to be a place where anyone who has that addiction can come and they don't feel they need to conform or be a particular way or dress a way to belong. And that's how we stay unified, is by not requiring uniformity. If you require uniformity, you have rules and then some people can belong and some people can't belong. So that's just a tiny little introduction on traditions one, three and five. And I'm just going to open it up. I'm not quite sure what's going to happen now. But if anyone wants to share, please share. If anyone has a question, pose the question. And then if anyone, anyone has an answer to that question, then come in with the answer. So over to you. Thanks. I've never seen any instructed 12 concepts, I've never heard that before, it's my own um, ignorance. What are they and where are they, where can I see them? So in the back of the big yeah. book, um, there's... <laughs> uh, being demonstrated by our lovely assistant, Nico, um, is the, the, the concepts. Now, the, the one thing about the steps, traditions and the concepts is they all have a short form and a long form. So when you go to a meeting, sometimes they have a wall hanging with the steps. Right, yeah. But that's just like a, that's not the steps, that's the summary of the steps. The steps is the full set of instructions of how to do a step four, for instance, or how to do step 11. So um, if, you, if you had a recipe book on the, on the um, table of contents, it might say page seven, quiche Lorraine. Um, page eight, cheese souffle. Now, if it just said quiche Lorraine and cheese souffle, you would not know how to make a quiche Lorraine or a cheese souffle just by the words quiche Lorraine and cheese, cheese souffle. It's like that with go and make a moral inventory. Well, I wouldn't know how to do that unless I've got the full instructions. So the steps have got a short form, which is summarised on page 59 of the big book, and then the long form, which is the contents of the big book, up to page 164, that's the long form. The traditions as well, they got a short version and a long version. There's one of them actually where the long version is shorter than 
the short version. I think it's tradition two, it's all backwards. But the concepts, they came up later on because originally AA was basically run by its founders and some other trusted people. And they needed to hand the running over, running of AA over to the fellowship as a whole, which by then was, ooh, around 400,000 people. Now, if you, let's say you need to do public information in AA, you can't go to the 400,000 people and say, how should we do this? You've got to have a system for delegating authority to the people actually doing the work, or the people running AA's finances, or publishing AA's literature, or running AA's telephone services. So at one end, you've got the person who runs the telephone office, and you, at the other end, you've got the fellowship as a whole. And you want a balance between the two so that the person who's running the telephone office doesn't become a dictator and start doing things which are against the will of the fellowship. But you don't want the fellowship to be so directive that the person who's running the telephone office can't do anything without asking the whole fellowship. So the, the concepts are a system for delegating authority all the way from the group members at one end down to the people who are actually doing the work at the other end. And I'm not going to cover the whole thing, but there's one where, where you can read about them as well. There's um, a set of essays by Bill W. on the 12 concepts where I'm, I'm going to do get a piece of paper out and do a mailing list, and I can send lots and lots of links to everyone afterwards. But the basic idea in the concepts is that you've got... Um, uh, the way a group has a gazillion members and then it has a group conscience meeting where people express their views and decisions are come to... AA operates the same way, so you have in the UK, what, 5,000 meet, 5,000 groups, and there is a conference every year with 120 or so delegates who represent those 5,000 groups, uh, and they decide on policy, general policy, the direction of AA as a whole and the financing of AA as a whole, and then you've got the board of trustees who are the trustees of the charity Alcoholics Anonymous, and they're the ones that do the work. And they've got subcommittees and offices and things like that. And they have the legal responsibility for running AA, but they've got to take into account what conference says. So there's a delicate balancing act between the trustees who do the work uh, or initiate the work, who are, and they're accountable to the conference, and the conference represents AA as a whole. So if the trustees do something that AA hates, AA says, well, we're not going to give you any money. And... It's partly AA tradition which um, keeps the board in line, as it were. So, so the board r respects the opinion of AA as a whole. But the ultimate lever, if the board did something uh, abominable, um, um, all AA groups would have to do is say, right, we're not giving you any more money, and that pulls the plug yeah. on whatever the... Um, uh, the conduct is. So that, that's basically what the, the, the concepts are about. So any decision kind of made at top, so to speak, always has to come from, will come, or will be born from a group conscience? Yes, right. yes. Anything else on anything that's been said so far? Um, Joe Alcoholic, Tradition One, I, I sort of, I went to a meeting on Monday night and I had a really good experience with it actually, and I realised 
the last couple of weeks, sort of just coming to seven years sober, and I've been working through the steps. I've done it a couple of times, just about to start again, and have someone see. So as I go through the book, I learn things as I'm passing it on to people, and new things come up. And um, I've always been really intrigued by the traditions, but and I know them, but I don't understand them at a heart and soul level. So. Um, it's with the spiritual side of the program. I can read books and I can do all sorts of things, but I have to practice it to have an experience with it. It's like doing press-ups, I guess. You've got to do them to get the muscle. So this lady shared on Tradition 1, and it was really helpful because it talked about... She basically put it very simply, and when I realised the night before it was quite weird, I was like, okay, so my personal recovery depends on the common welfare and the unity of AA as a whole. So as a fellow... I want to stay sober. So I'm like, oh, these are the things that are going to help me have long-term emotional sobriety. Not quite with the concept yet, really. Got, got to do the traditions first. But because it's all right, I keep saying to my sponsor, I want to do the traditions, I want to do the traditions, but I've actually got to do them myself and read about them and ask people questions and take part in them because it's a bit like the steps you have to do them. And so this lady was talking about we have, as alcoholics, I'll talk about myself, relationships with every single person we meet, whether it's the dog, the bus driver, the post office guy, my mum, my sponsor, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever. And these traditions are going to help me have that. So she was talking about taking that into your day at home, like in the family. Because I'll call my sponsor and say, oh, my mum's not doing this or whatever, da, da, da. but actually, if I can think of those people, not just as a sponsee, but in a loving way, and think, well, this relationship, whether I like what my mum's doing to me or saying to me, I can sit in a room with her and have dinner and think the principle behind it is the com my personal recovery and sameness depends on my unity with her. And I, can't, I don't know if I'm making sense, but I've started to realise that I'm like, Sitting in a room with someone, whether I like them or not, what I've got to think about is the principle of being able to intimacy, so interdependent relationships rather than a codependent relationship where I'm completely dependent on a sponsor, I'm not going to God. An independent relationship where I'm isolated and I'm not interested in other people's views. All this interdependence, which I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, so I guess what she was saying and what I've spoken to my sponsor about and other people about is that my sanity and my welfare, being a selfish person, <laughs> self-centred, selfish alcoholic, I'm learning not to be in recovery, but there are days when I am, and it still comes up. I've got to learn something more than the steps to be able to keep me in that solid foundation, get stronger and stronger, I believe, by understanding those at a level. I don't know if that's helped, but it just, the penny dropped where I was like, okay, it's not just... I can't go through life without having any relationships. I'm having a relationship with you guys in this room today. So how do I listen? How do I really see what you need from me and what and how can I be useful? Sometimes I can't always help, but sometimes it's, it's um, I guess, that unity. Yeah, I just it's very hard for me to articulate because I don't really understand the traditions at the level that's being talked about, but I'm really starting to see that like the principles need to come before my own personality so when i go for fellowship on a saturday night and there's 30 people there i do like them all 
weirdly enough, but I don't have to like them all to sit and have a conversation with them. I need to be a grown-up and think of the common welfare of the group because if not, I'm going to die, mm. not, not any of them. So I guess, I guess that's what I understood about Tradition 1 and the others. I'm going to shut my mouth now and let someone else talk. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Hi, Jenny, Alcoholic Sex and I need to leave and make a call, but I am going to come back, and I really appreciate what you said. I don't want to let just abandon shit. <laughs> that's not nothing to do with um, unity. <laughs> right, so any, anyone else like, would anyone else like to share? Yes, and I, uh, Yeah, first question, what do you mean, uh, how do you do unity? What's the way to, to make our fellowship strong, you know, um, together? And um, I know in our fellowship, not here, other places people go, um, um, it's different than in AA, they go just form of fellowship, like after meeting. Um, it's easy for the group to do, like, to do it um, just a few guys together to go or what else you will I, yeah, I think, I think that makes sense so, so how do you promote unity within the group yes um, there are actually there are two answers to this um, one is on the fellowship side, another one is on the application of some of the other traditions on how the group is run, and I'll come to the second part of the answer to that in the next section. But the first part about fellowship. Um, one thing I've noticed over the years is groups who meet socially, either before the group or after the group, almost never have trouble finding people to do the work at the group. Um, I don't know why that's the case, but it does seem to be the case that there's a correlation between groups who have who struggle to find people to do service. They're often the ones where there's no fellowship afterwards. It, it's um, um, one of the people that was very influential in my recovery said, um, yeah, the hour of the meeting, you have to have the meeting. It's in the book, so you have to have it. It's what we do. But the really important thing is the hour or two or three afterwards when people really tell the truth. <laughs> because people might be, they might share during the course of the meeting and you'll get some of the story then, but it's the real interaction which takes place afterwards. And um, my experience as well, for, I remember from my first year when I was, mo I had the highest number of very new people around me, uh, the, the home groups that I went to. Uh, the people that always, it was, there was a my home group was a Friday evening group in in um, uh, near Trafalgar Square from seven thirty to nine and there was a bunch of people that would go for dinner afterwards uh, or coffee or whatever and the ones who who said right I'm going to go to that group every single week uh, and I'm going to go for dinner and for fellowship afterwards none of them relapsed in the first year there's a lot there's a, there's a big correlation between surrendering to the group and saying, okay, this bunch of people, they're not perfect, they're not my higher power, but I'm gonna surrender to this group of people. There's a correlation between that, I believe, and then being successful in your own recovery. The second part of it, um, to promote unity in the group, there are, now there are a lot, there are, the ideas are gonna be a little bit dense now, I, I'm afraid. There, there are quite a lot of traditions which are relevant. The first one is tradition seven which is the group of self-supporting. 
Now that means that, um, in my experience, that everyone gets to help in supporting the group. And that doesn't just mean financially, it means to do with getting the work done that the group needs to do. Um, and so at my Saturday home group, we have an immense number of people doing service. And so, you know, three people doing this and four people greeting. And we're making sure that everyone has a job. If they want to be part of the group, we give them a job to do. And then, then this is the great thing, um, that participation, um, uh, uh, and this is an idea in concept four, that you get to vote in as far as you're doing the work. So in the AA service structure, if you're doing service, you get to vote. If you're not doing service, well, we might hear your views, but we're not going to let you vote. And it's because of authority and responsibility going together. And this is one of the other concepts, is that authority and responsibility get to go together, which means the people that make the decisions are the ones that do the work. And when you get groups not functioning, it's when this group of people make the decision and this group of people have to carry it out. Uh, that's when you get de decisions which don't work. If you have to carry out your own decisions, you're going to think more carefully <laughs> about the decisions that you make. So it's lots of ideas coming together to a single set of principles, which is um, everyone gets to participate in the work, and then everyone gets to participate in the decision-making process. And if you've got everyone doing the service and everyone showing up for the meeting where you discuss difficult questions or make difficult decisions, it works a lot better if everyone is physically helping and you get far fewer arguments. Again, a group, if you've been at group consciences where you've got, let's say, four people who do the service and 20 people who just turn up occasionally, the tone is different. When everyone is doing the work, it's a sense we're in this together rather than you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. Uh, in Connected with that is concept uh, tradition nine, which means that whatever role you have, you don't do it for too long. So everyone gets to do the tea at some point. Everyone gets to sit at the front and be the, the secretary. Everyone gets to greet so that no one... No one creates their little empire, so you don't get someone creating a little kitchen empire. Um, when they sit on that, um, they sit on that commitment and become the, the resident expert on that, and no one is allowed to tell them how to do it. Uh, and I've seen d d absolute disasters when someone stays in a role for more than a year, and so some roles need two years, like treasurer needs two years and GSR needs two years. But if someone stays in a role otherwise, they become very sensitive um, to any criticism of how that role is done because they start to identify with it. I've done this myself. You become so attached to it that it must be done this way. And it's great to see people trying different things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, but everyone gets to make a fool of themselves in each of the different roles. And that stops the hierarchy, that means everyone is in it together. So every, if everyone is taking a turn doing the toilet cleaning duty at the end of the group, no one can say, well, I'm better than you. <laughs> and if you've got everyone doing the work in that way, that's what promotes the democracy, which is behind the, the decision-making. And one point about the decision-making is that um, uh, everything should be out in the open in something called a, a group conscience meeting. Now, there are two types of meetings. There's a business meeting where you just deal with practical stuff, um, 
you know, who's going to do this, who's going to do that, what, how much should we spend on biscuits, that sort of thing. And then a group conscience meeting is when you're deciding really important questions like how is this group going to do public information work? Are we going to reach out to the local community? What format does this group uh, is this group going to use? What literature are we going to read? That sort of stuff. And the point about a group conscience meeting or indeed a business meeting is that it has to be an informed one. So it's got to be people who are at the group every week so they understand it. It's no good having visitors coming in and sharing their little or it may be useful experience but it's not it's not related to experience from the group uh, and um, where I've seen things go wrong is when people try to do deals outside the group conscience where these little conversations happen between people not in the room just twos over here and threes over there to just to try to make decisions on behalf of the group, complete disaster. If you've got a problem, bring it to the group, have the courage to tell everyone what your little problem is <laughs> that, that you think is going wrong. And then you have to take responsibility for complaining. And, and it changes the tone as well. If you have to say it in front of other people, it, people are much politer than when they're doing it one-to-one. -one. So to have everything out on the table there, and I'm going to give you a good example in the second half of, of applying that in the outside world as well. So we've covered a little bit of traditions two and seven and nine and some other items there. Does anyone have anything to share or any questions on that? Well, I'm Nick, I'm an alcoholic. Just something very basic really on Tradition one, the common welfare. Um, and I think a change took place for me when I started approaching my home group and thinking about service choices I was going to make, you know, what I was going to put myself up for. And started to ask myself, well, what does this group really need rather than what fits in with my diary or what's convenient for me to do? And so I would then put myself forward for those positions which I thought, well, actually, I think there's something that we could improve over there or I think that could work well or nobody wants to do that one so I'm going to do that and then um, practically as well um, my, what, what would used to happen is the business meeting would come up once a month or so and new service positions would be announced that people had rotated out and then there's this sort of flurry of oh no what am I going to do are you going to go for that or am I going to go for that so very practically I started sort of looking ahead and thinking okay so that service position is coming up in July so I could I could step in and do that or you know this one's going to come up in August so maybe I'll wait and put myself forward for that so in a very practical way thinking to myself what can I contribute to this and that's just worked really well because if the group's strong then it carries me um, and it's more satisfying because I'm making a greater contribution and my ego is also uh, deflated because I'm putting myself in that position of service rather than what, what suits me. So that's just a very practical way that I found that I could apply Tradition 1 um, in the group and in my own recovery. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Motti. Hi, Motti. Um, again, to basically speak before about um, Tradition 1, unity is the always work together or die separately. Um, it's a thing which, for example, a new group, which have no big amount of people, tend to less, uh, less than 10 people a week. Um, for example, our group every Sunday. Um, 
it's, it's possible, it, it's, it's a point to start to, to go fellowship afterwards, to try to do things to make stronger the unity, or it's a thing which only wait when we'll be more covered in the room, and then we can uh, do it properly. properly. Or, um, or it's a thing which you need to grow up, or first do the actions, first do fellowship, try to arrange a place where to go after the meeting, or things like that. And even it's not so much people, so many people attend. It's only three, four people, and it's not the, it's not a real, real um, fellowship. It's only a small percentage of the group. Or it's a thing which you need to wait when it will be adequate. There's an idea in the traditions where it says if. Uh, if two or three people are gathered together in the name of AA, they can, in the name of recovery, they can call themselves an AA group. So you can start to act like a real AA group just when there are two or three of you. And I, I've had the fortune to travel to some distant places without much AA, and you, you find a name on the internet and you go and meet and, and there's just two of you or there's just three of you but you treat it exactly the same way as and I've been to a group there's a group in Los Angeles with um, seven or eight hundred people regularly at each of the meetings and it's it's it was not my cup of tea at all but um, but but you know groups can be very very different sizes but you you treat it if you had a family which just had two people in it so they say, well, we're not really a family. We'll wait till there are four or five people in there. No, you're, you're a family when you commit to it and you say, this is my family. And it's exactly the same with an AA group. Um, and the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And, and this idea of membership, it's not... Mem membership is something you really belong to. It's not something you just visit. So I think you create, you create the vision. You have a vision... And this is your own step 11, the vision of what could this group become? And you imagine, well, if there were 50 people, what would we do? Well, let's, let's build that first. You build the mental image first of what the group could be, and then you'll find it automatically happening. And the second thing as well, um, and this solves most problems um, in recovery. Um, uh, someone who sponsored my sponsor said that uh, almost every problem in, in, in recovery can be solved through strong sponsorship. So, uh, I know that my continued sobriety depends on me sponsoring other people, whether or not it's convenient. <laughs> um, and what that means is that um, I'm not in a position of authority over people's lives, but I'm in a position to suggest strongly certain actions. So I'll say to sponsor, I, 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 when I sponsor someone, I'll say, um, if we're going to have a sponsor-sponsor relationship, you need to come to one of my home groups. If you can't, that's fine, but you might need a different sponsor then, you know, that, that's fine. But we need to have a relationship. To have a relationship, I need to be seeing you. I need to remember what your face looks like. And so that idea of, of um, you know, if you, in your own recovery, are sponsoring other people, and you bring them along, so wherever you go, they go. Wherever they go, you go. You stick together, and you find two or three other people like that who are doing that, and then your own sponsees get sponsees themselves within a year you have an, you have 15 20 people so sponsorship is what starts the whole thing and the group grows out of sponsorship in my experience any other you would like to share yeah, five. what do you mean uh, 
it's facts. It's it's um, an autobody image. Um, prepare this as a go. I'll, yeah. What, okay. So one of the one of the peculiar things about the way Tradition Five is written, it says each group has but one primary purpose: to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. It doesn't say the message; it says its message. Now, my understanding, there are some other twelve-step fellowships where in Tradition Five they say the message not its message um, but in AA it's its message so each group decides to can decide what its message is um, some groups the message is don't drink and go to meetings and if a group wants to have that that as its message great if it keeps people sober the group will survive so who am I to say whether that's right or wrong uh, my own view however and this is an opinion and there's nothing sometimes you hear people criticising opinions in AA. I think it's valid to have opinions as long as they're based on fact, experience, principle and reason. If they're not based on those, well, that's a different matter. But um, the big book talks about uh, we're given brains to use and we're given our minds back and as long as we aim to be guided by God, that's fine. So my opinion, um, in the that we're on the fourth edition of the big book now. When we were on the third edition, there was, uh, so th this is just a little paperback here, but in the hardback version, there is a, a paper dust cover and there's text on the inside of the dust cover. I should have brought it with me, but I forgot to bring out some of my stuff today. And in the third edition from 1976, it talks about the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, the book Alcoholics Anonymous remaining unchanged largely from its first printing from, from 1939. There are small changes, they've moved things around, but basically the book up to 164 plus the forwards and the and, um, Dr. Bob's story have stayed the same. And in the third edition dust cover, it says, it talks about the basic text up to 164. It says, this is the AA message. And I, th I was, I think I was 15 years sober before I saw that. Because I remember when I was about 10 years sober, I went around my home group and I asked all the people, what's the AA message? And I got a completely different answer from each one. Um, but AA has already decided what its message was in 1939. They put it in a book, that's bang, that's the AA message. Um, so I think that's not a bad basis um, to say if the purpose is to carry the message, um, the purpose of an AA group, and that's certainly the purpose of my two home groups, is to carry the message of um, those 164 pages. But, and here's the interesting thing, um, I've been to some very tough AA meetings where they're very, they're very much like the big book and they're banging on about the big book and the steps and God and all of those things. But if you had... Bobby sharing and Jane and Susan and Peter and if you went back the next week they'd each say exactly the same as they did the previous week and you could shuffle them you could give Peter's share to Susan and you wouldn't know the difference everyone sounds exactly the same and now groups are allowed to do that if they want to do that it's completely fine tradition four they're allowed autonomy but the thing I love about uh, the purpose being the contents of this book up to 164 is that one of the things it says and I think it's um, yes on page 29 
Each individual in the personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. And previously it says clear-cut directions are given showing how we recovered. So you can do two things as part of the primary purpose. You can make sure that the clear-cut directions on how to recover are communicated but they're supplemented with each person's own individual story in his or her own voice so that you get personal identification. And there are lots of groups which are great. They'll give you the technical detail and you listen to people sharing it and you're like, I agree with everything you say. It's technically perfect, but who are you? I have no idea. I don't feel I know you any better now than I did 20 minutes ago. And there are other groups where you hear you get to know the person, but you would have no idea at the end of the sharing what alcoholism is and how you recover from it. But you love the people. <laughs> and I, I've, my, my experience, the most successful groups are the ones that do both. They tell you, if you want to recover, they'll tell you how, so you can go away and do something. It gives you something practical to do, but there's real human contact because people are actually telling you who they are. And that's a really good way of approaching what the primary purpose is. Any other thoughts or questions or sharing before we have a tea break? I'm like an addict. I, I agree with that. The meetings that I like the best are the ones where they, you get the people that kind of just like to share about their life, what they're going through, and then you kind of get, I don't know, like a, someone who kind of lives and brings the program and tells you the solution. Like yeah. For me, they tend to be the best meetings that resonate with me. Mm -hmm. so, so I agree with that. And if you go around the country, you'll find that most meetings are like that. Most successful meetings will have a few people who share the technical stuff mm -hmm. and a few people that share the, the emotional stuff and the day-to-day -day stuff. And there are very few meetings where it's just day-to-day -day stuff because they tend to be a bit dreary. And then there are very few meetings which are very strict. So I think that the, if you look across AA, that bears out what works for most people. Yeah, most meetings tend to have... Like not in a kind of, in a contrived way, but it's kind of like any social kind of place, you know, you'll get the joker, or you'll get, you know, the crazy person, or you'll get the newcomer, or you'll get, you know, the kind of person that's like, you know, lives and breathes it. And that's been most of my experience with really, actually. I've never really come across any that are bespoke to one thing. We can give you addresses if you want to visit. I've been to like an agnostic meeting, or an unbelievable, that was interesting. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was very conflicting in that meeting, but it was interesting to go and see what their message was as well. But I think that's what is important, what you touched on there, the fact you get each of the different personality types in a group. That, to me, is a sign of a good group, because it means that anyone is allowed to join. And if sometimes there are groups where you feel it's like a particular social... <coughs> demographic or and my friend Tom says he doesn't like groups like that because he feels that if anyone's excluded he could be excluded and he needs to feel that I you know I it's the idea you can go to the group even if you're strange that week you know no, no one's going to say you know please don't darken our doors you can be whoever you are and that's a helpful thing should we have a cup of tea good okay let's reconvene in in 10-15 minutes thank you thank you